time for our feature interview of podcast number eight. I started off this week's podcast with a quote from our special guest. And let me throw another one at you here. I'm a bit of a loner. In the five years I've been running in the mountains, I've only run with someone else 11 times. Spending time alone in the open mountains is at the heart of my running. The wildlife, the vegetation, the landscape, the archaeology, the geology, the local history and of course the weather. I don't talk about running. Most people who I meet don't know I run much and I've only one plaque in my house. But Hazel gets it. That's a quote, guys, from Paul O'Callaghan, who we're just about to talk to and dial in. Paul has just completed the incredible Wicklow Round back-to-back 100-kilometer by two, 200 kilometers, 52 Mountain Summit Challenge. He's the first person to do it. He did it unsupported. Um, he's got some other incredible ultra-distance challenges, successful challenges to his name as well. He's completed the Dennis Rankin Challenge up the north. He's done the Wicklow Round in the summertime and in the wintertime as well. And he chose to do it on the short day of the year the winter solstice so he's a man that chooses chooses challenges that are far from easy and he often chooses the most difficult way of doing so but he enjoys it as well and boy does he prepare for them as we're about to hear and um, let's dial in the the victor the person the warrior who has completed the wicklow round 200 kilometer back-to-back wicklow round challenge Paul O'Callaghan. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be on with you there. Yeah, quite a process, but we go for it anyway. Here we are two weeks later after your 100 kilometre, 26 mountains by two (laughs) (laughs) under the 48 hour limit, over 12,000 metres of elevation gain. And I know from talking to you just before we hit the record button that you said you've recovered fantastically well and you were ready to jog, ready, ready to run the following day i know incredible recovery it it surprises me a lot of the time as well because over the years as i progressed through running there has been times where i've been out of action for weeks afterwards and sore every inch of the body and that you know but um over the years and i suppose i fine-tuned and i'm starting to get it right so even though you're out doing long hours doing big stuff the next day there's no soreness in the limbs or the muscles and it's been great you know bit of nerves are on us on the feet from the shoes and the lace and but apart from that the next day i finished on the sunday morning had a sleep on the sunday afternoon went for a walk with hazel on sunday evening didn't feel great but um i went back into work at lunchtime on monday then and spent the afternoon going up and down stairs and crawling into attics Incredible, and uh, so I hadn't planned on getting into the details so early in the interview, Paul. But what do you find is the key to that recovery? As we said, you, you just completed. 200 kilometers and a total of 52 mountain summits uh, and pretty much you know just under 48 hours non-stop running how do you get that recovery so spot on is it just that you're so used to long endurance events or do you have any nutrition secrets any rest secrets How, how is it that your body is able to recover so quickly now I, I think it's what you said there, the key to it is to get your body used to 
constantly doing that so that's just the normal for the body you know week in week out not obviously those huge volumes but anytime I run it's on that sort of ground and it's always doing summits and then the nutrition yeah the nutrition is the key to it as well and I don't pay huge attention to calorie don't actually pay any attention to calorie (laughs) you know Um, and I try to eat good you know yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, you know, we read so much about, uh, you know, anti-inflammatory foods. I mean, do, do you even bother, you know, when no, that is the one thing stuff? that I do. Yeah, that okay. is the one thing okay. that I do. After every single long run, I make a homemade, I have a homemade soup in the van and a stove. I heat that up and I have that while I'm getting changed. So that would have tons of turmeric, ginger, lemongrass, garlic, wow. onions, tomatoes, peppers. And then I load that up with just potatoes meat and cheese every time and ah, i really yeah. think that's the key you know yeah it, it beats any maybe fancy expensive protein recovery powder <laughs> i think you're just getting a better all around all around nutrition with the natural food you know now i yeah. eat tons of junk food as well well not really not highly processed junk food but i love my chocolate and biscuits and cake you know yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you probably need it. You need the calories, don't you? And the sugar and the energy to be able to get through two full days of running. Yeah, well, I've spent quite a few years now tinkering around with fat adaptation as well. And I think I have that fairly on the ball at the moment as well. Okay. It seems to okay. Work, you know, so I wouldn't have that much of a calorie intake. Ah, fair enough. Yeah. So, I mean, while you're while you're running such events like the Wicklow Round, you're not popping gels like say you know your typical road marathon runners will be popping a gel every half an hour, forty minutes. Um, are you more on the fat so? I would now when I'd be in Jordan training, I'd go out all day. I might do height of training, fourteen hour day before having breakfast, basically. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, incredible. So, so uh, as you said, nothing Jordan today is running either, you know. Wow. So just as you said, after years and years of doing that, your your body has just become fat adapted, and I, I, that's probably one of the key reasons why you're you're not inflamed after these big long efforts as well. Um, it's just pure healthy foods that are that are in your body. I if think any, so. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah. and that would be my daily sort of like nutrition wise. I get up every morning. I have a fry every single morning of the week. You know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. I go to work. Might have a salad in the day, and then have a few potatoes with me normal dinner or whatever. You know, in the evening time. So it's fairly simple. Yeah. So so no rocket science at all. No rocket no, science. No, it's really as yeah. back to basics. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I know one of the other things, Paul, that we that we spoke about during the week was when we were just having our pre-chat. Um, I, I was asking you about, you know, what maybe you, you listen to, or on on your earphones, music, radio, podcasts, <laughs> while you're out doing these eight-hour sessions, or even when you're running the, the Wicklow round, for example. And you said to me that you don't bring anything with you at all. No earphones with you. Um, so say when you're going on your eight-hour runs, that you said you have one plan for tomorrow, for example, or even when you are doing the Wicklow round, what is it that goes through your mind? Or if anything, are you just focused on getting through the, the next mile, getting to the next summit, or are, are you actually concentrating, say, on your maps, on your getting your navigation right? What um, was it? What is it that goes through that goes through your head as you're doing these incredible long runs and long sessions? 
a lot of it would be just, as you say, getting a map to the notes right and paying attention to it. There's so much going on around you all the time. I think the fact that I, I tried to concentrate on open mountain and it'd be only on a trail if I had to be on a trail. So you are actually paying attention to everything every minute of the time, you know, you're taking everything in. And then it's part of just being out in the mountains as well, I suppose. I love everything else that's going around, you know, and not missing, say, board song or deer or, you know, mountain hares bolting out of their, their farms and stuff like that. There's always, always so much to pay attention to. And it would never even cross my mind that I'd need to listen to anything or switch off from it even. I love being switched on to it. Sure, sure. And I mean, like, say during the day, like, say during your, your normal civilian life, would yeah. you have a very busy life anyway? So, this is like your break away from the noise of work, of TV, of radio, of phones, or whatever. So, this is like your, your way to escape that. Again, not in particular. Um, I'd have a fairly quiet life. Be, I'm self employed and work, for, work on my own. So, yeah. quite often, I might spend a couple of full days without having contact with somebody during the walking day, you know? Um, And then I just live with my two sons as well. So they might be on the computers or phones a lot of the time when I'm home as well. So I'd have a quiet, quiet enough life that way, you know, and I'd be used to solitude. Sure. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. So, so the, the training in the mountains is just nearly an extension of, of that way of living. Yeah. So again, it's, it's basically doing what you normally do, you yeah. know? So yeah, 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 yeah. when I'm out running or if I'm going for a run, I'm eating the same as if I'm going to walk. When I'm out there, the sort of interaction that I have is the same that I have on a normal day, kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's an extension to what I do normally during a walking day. Yeah, I, I, but I imagine as well that when you were doing um, the Wicklow round, the back-to-back, um, I imagine that the levels of concentration would have been extremely high, Paul, as well. Um, navigating through those, in total, 52 mountain summits and 200 kilometres, I, I presume you have to be really attentive as, as you're trying to find your way down tracks and up summits and in, in tough yep. terrain at times. That was one of the, the big focuses. Um, I suppose I spend a lot of time on, on the recce's and, and getting the route selection right. But then once you have all that done, the last few weeks, I tried to sort of switch into what I'm going to need mentally for the run. Um, and part of that is total switch on every minute of the time. It's so easy to lose a trail or take a, the wrong fork. Um, just you're, you're so tired. And you're out there on your own and your mind does tend to wander. So a big part of that final training would be to get used to just focusing, to be aware that you need to focus. You, you can't switch off. That any break in navigation could be fatal to the attempt because you're only on a slim margin as it is. And, uh, and then getting back to your previous point, then I do take gels, Jordan, around, and they would be to keep that mental focus. Okay. So I don't take a lot of gels, but your brain will obviously need a certain amount, you know? Sure. Sure, um, sure. That no, would no. be the fight, the sort of um, the desire to stop when you're tired, when you're sleepy, you know. So you need that brain power, that willpower, and the gels yeah. will give you that kind of energy when you need it, yeah, but not yeah, fueling okay. the body as such. Sure, sure. Um, b- before we maybe go into more detail about the, the Wicklow round, um, Paul, what was it that 
got you into running in the first place? Because I think you came to it relatively late in life, maybe about five years ago, was it, that you got into the mountain running? Into the mountain running, I'd say about five, six years ago. And um, yeah, I was never into sport, either watching or participating in it. (laughs) And I'm 50 next week, and I think it was 41, 42. Um, Kept slipping a disc in my back, and... I went to the doctor, had a few procedures done, and they said before they went to operating that I should try swimming to strengthen up the core muscles, you know? Yeah. So I did that. Did a couple of lengths of the pool and wasn't fit enough to do anymore. So I just downloaded a Couch to 5K app, and I suppose like everybody else, just walked my way through that. And that wasn't particularly easy. That that was horrible at times, just getting to 5K. thinking that the timing was wrong, that I had more time to walk and walk, and the app was telling me to run, you know. But um, that was it, and I just found that I liked it once I got going after the 5K and went up towards the 10K, reached 10K for a good while, thought I'd never get past it. I thought that was my natural limit, if there was such a thing. Sure. And signed up for the Dublin Marathon season, then um, the series of races, and walked towards that. And I suppose by the time it was coming close to the marathon, I knew I wanted to go forward on a marathon. I was enjoying that length of runs. Yeah. And obviously then just a natural talent that you found as well. Um, that it, it seems that you weren't breaking down with injuries. The, the longer the training, the longer the race was, the, the more comfortable you felt. Just this, yeah, it, 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 this, this incredible mental and physical strength, Paul, as well. It was just, when you find something that you like doing, it's very easy to do it. And you, you find the training then enjoyable as well, so it's easy to do the training. And I'd never been switched on to anything like that, and I just I absolutely by accident fell into it and found that I loved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so f- from what I can see, y- you fell in love with the longer ultra um, trail running races as opposed maybe to the mass participation marathon road racing scene that for you um, your favorite type of racing was the, the long ultras and pretty much as you said beforehand racing and training in solitude where maybe you know the majority of people head towards the marathon the road races um, the the marathon race series where again you went the, you went against the grain and and found your your niche in, in the mountains i think so it was just again just purely by accident after the the dublin marathon i found done a day 50k and then the art o'neill the art o'neill was one of the crucial ones because you had to get a map and start going out into the mountains yeah um, and then after that i did um i did connemara ultra and the england ultra they would have been on road but then I did Raw Alter, which was down in Wicklow as well, and that was free route choice, um, 100k, and that was the real change, and that was the real turning point, I think, you know, um, just spend so much time finding your route and going places that you'd never think of going if you were just still doing train races. Sure, sure. And do you think, Paul, that one of the reasons why maybe you kept injury-free was 
that I, I, I doubt by listening to you that you are stretching for hours a day or you are doing loads of core work or strength work. By the sounds of it, you are just running slow and steady and long. And that's yeah. what has made you super strong. Now, at the beginning, um, when I was walking, say the first two years when I was just doing road, ra- road races, well, I wasn't doing a lot of them, but I was, I was running on road. Yeah, I was getting the tightness. I was foam rolling. I was doing whatever stretches I could find online and stuff like that. And I'd yes. be very good at, at reading, reading books, you know. Yeah. Um, but I was still getting repetitive injury in a calf tear where I had an injury. I cut my calf badly as a kid, so there's a lot of scar tissue there, you know, so there'd be a trigger yeah. point. But um, I have found that since I've gone off trail, off road, I just don't get any injuries. I don't stretch. I don't do anything, you know. But <laughs> yeah. that ties again into my physical walk. I might spend a whole day bending, twisting, torn, and lifting. So it complements the running then. Sure. Be- beats, um, beats, beats the office and uh, sitting in a chair all day. <laughs> it does. It gives me an advantage that way, yeah. And I don't have to go to a gym or whatever for it, you know. Yeah, sure. Um, well, listen, Paul, moving on to the back-to-back Wicklow round, um, I, I think it's fair to say that you showed good form coming into 2020 because you had completed the unsupported midwinter um, Dennis Rankin round up in the Mourne Mountains, 39 mountains and 90k. So you're obviously in good shape at the turn of the year. So is that when you began to think about a back-to-back Wicklow round after the successful Dennis Rankin round? Um, well, I suppose it probably goes back to the summer round of 2016. Again, before I'd even attempted that, although I was training for, you know, you're in the hills and you're thinking about different variations that you might do. Yeah, I might finish this and I might go the other way or I might do two, you know. And then I ended up doing the winter and then the ranking over the years. But I suppose I've been round training just specifically for four, four and a half years now. And wow. Doing the Wicklow winter round the previous year and then the ranking one. And I came off both of them and didn't feel trashed, you know. Yeah. Um, and particularly this winter one, like, didn't feel trashed at all after, you know, and felt great. Wow. But um, I had in my head that I was going to try... Liam Vines and Mike Jordan did one there last year, all Wicklow Glacier Lakes, which was open ground in Wicklow. So I'd have a try at that in the spring. And I sort of had the back of my head, the double, but I knew I couldn't get to the training volume that I'd like. You know, personal commitments, you know, yeah. holidays, yeah. one the sun, so I'd leave insert, breaks, festivals, gigs, stuff like that. So I just had her in the back of my head and I had a marked on a diary a weekend and Sort of as a back of the head sort of goal. And um, then lockdown happened and that changed yeah. everything, I suppose, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like that, I was in, felt in great shape. And as the years go on, I'd say to myself, Jesus, I've never been in better shape than this because I've never really been in shape except for the last few years, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 So um, when lockdown happened then, I wasn't getting to the mountains, but it freed up a lot of my time, it freed up a lot of the spare time that I used to have. So found a farmer's field down the road and the golf courses and basically ran six hours at a time round in circles, trying to find wow. every lump, every bump in fields and golf courses. Wow. 
incredible and as you were doing that you you were you were getting fit and strong enough to to complete the the greatest physical challenge that you've done to date and probably totally totally the opposite way of training that you would have thought you would have had to train for it by wrecking maybe I suppose you you probably had done so much wrecking over the years anyway that you didn't yep. need to go out to the trails as much as, say, maybe a first-timer would now, that you, you had a lot in your head already. Yeah, you see, I was very comfortable with the entire route, very comfortable with the entire route, even in darkness, So and zero visibility. So I, I wasn't off-put by I wasn't intimidated by it at all. I knew it was in the back of my head. Once I sort of went back over the route a couple of times, checked that was okay, checked that my navigation was okay, if I had the fitness and then I knew this time around with it being a double, the mentals game would come into a huge amount, you know, just to fight that fatigue, just to keep alert, just to keep going. So that became a bigger focus as well once I was doing the physical training because I knew I was coming into it okay training-wise, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, how far do you prepare for the night running? Um, bad enough running through one night but you would have ran through two nights. So is that actually something that you incorporate into your training? You mentioned, say, six-hour runs. Are you doing any of those six-hour runs or even longer during the night in the weeks and months leading up to the actual event day, or do you just save it all for the, mm. for the, for the, for the attempt itself? No, typically I would. Now, lockdown obviously changed things this time around. But typically I wouldn't actually like night runs. So okay. I, I would have a big loop down in Wicklow from Wicklow Gap down to Lugnaquilla and back around basically the bottom half of the Wicklow round. And I would typically do that over eight or nine hours of a night, you know. Okay, so so you're well used to running at night time. And that's it. It's just getting comfortable with all that. That Even when you go off course, you don't get worried, you don't get stressed. You can find a different route back in that, yeah. Yeah, just practice, practice and more practice. Yeah, and then what I would try to do usually would be leave the night reckies till very close, maybe Jordan my taper, so that they're really fresh in your head then. Yeah, yeah. And f- for those night reckies, Paul, like say during the day of your night recce, are you taking afternoon naps to get a bit of sleep back? Are you are you taking coffee just before you're, you're heading out during the night and then are you maybe sleeping the whole next day? How does the, the mechanics of those night recce training days work and the recovery involved? And as you said, um, doing all that with a family, with a job, etc. How do, how does that work? No, I would like um say if I was going for a night run, I would go to work as normal, come home, have the dinner, and then head down to Wicklow. <laughs> wow. I might have a fifteen minutes news in the van after I get back to the van and then drive home, have a few hours rest. It's just to try and program your body that this is the normal. Sure. And you do, you slap back into things very quickly. But I was conscious, I think it was the winter round down in Wicklow a couple of years ago, the sleep deprivation did hit me quite a bit and I took quite a few naps. Okay. Just going up mountains and that. So I thought that would be a problem this time around. So the plan was that I would try and trick my body so that if I was in any way sleepy at all as the sun went down in the nighttime, I'd have a nap maybe 10, 15 minutes, 
and then I'd have another nap as the sun was coming up to try and trick my body into t- thinking I'd had a night's sleep. Yeah, sure. So I did that. I felt a bit sleepy going up scar on day one. So in the valley after that, I called up in a ball and had to sleep for 15 minutes. Wow. And then when I got around, I'm not sure what time it was, the next day when I finished up at the mass path near Kapoor, um, I had a wash, um, rejigged the whole bag, had something to eat, felt fresh, went to sleep again for 10 minutes, woke up and then did the finish run before I went out again. So that was a sort of trick so that I would think that I had to sleep and I felt like I was going out completely fresh again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I never tried uh, it before I walked, you know. How many of those little fifteen-minute naps did you have over the over the forty-eight hours? Just under the forty-eight hours, Paul. Was it just three or four you mentioned? Um, that was enough. I had one for fifteen minutes at Scar, and then I had a ten-minute nap right before I had the end. So I had twenty-five minutes sleep over the forty-eight hours. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. And just out of curiosity, when you went back home then after that, um, did your body just sleep a standard seven, eight, seven or eight hours or did your body make up for it and you were zonked <laughs> out for a full 24 hours? How was that? Um, I, I, I fell asleep on the drive back almost from what I've been told. I don't really remember leaving the finish line. Um, I, I started coming down almost immediately once I finished, although I felt strong at the finish. Once I got to the finish, the body started saying, okay, it's, it's time you can sleep now, you know. Yeah. So, um, one, I don't remember getting into the car, and I woke up in swords, and I had a big mound of gunk in my mouth. And I said to him, I said, oh, my God, what's that? He says, you fell asleep eating a biscuit. <laughs> so I came in, and Hazlitt made me a massive dinner, roast chicken dinner, about three yeah. kilos of dinner. And I had half of that, went to sleep, and I got up about, I suppose, five hours later and went for a walk, came home, had the second half of the dinner and watched the telly until about half twelve that night, went to sleep and woke up without an alarm at about half nine the next day and then went to walk at lunchtime. So wow. the, I, I, I don't understand a lot of the times, you know, but it just seems to, whatever I'm doing seems to work. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Um, Paul, tell us who Hazel is, because I read in one of your reports, um, you said very simply, Hazel gets it. <laughs> she's like, <laughs> your, you, you, she's your perfect teammate. So who, who's Hazel and, and how does she help you complete all these incredible challenges? I suppose Hazel has been there and we're a couple, we're, I suppose, eight, nine, ten years now. Um, so we don't live together, but Hazel would take, when the kids were younger, my two boys live with me and Hazel has a daughter live with her. So yeah. Hazel would look after the boys if I was going on, say, night runs years ago and stuff like that, you know. But yeah. as always, she's known me from when I didn't run, you know. So okay. a lot of people that don't yeah. know me now from when I run, you know. Um, yeah. So she's been there and seen me. She's been at all the races, the marathon series, stuff like that, you know. And of course... We go out and do our Wicklow walks or our morn walks as well. So she understands where I am and she has the same enthusiasm for everything that I do that I have. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. So what I would do is when I come back from a run, I keep a written training there, you know. So I'd always write something about the wildlife and that. So, But I'd always be saying, can't wait to tell Hazel that I saw that, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it sounds like a great team. Um, people might might realise, Paul, that you did the the back to back Wicklow round unsupported. Um, can you just tell us what that exactly means? Um, for people maybe who aren't fully aware of, of the details and the and the, the rules, if you like, around the the Wicklow round, it can be supported or unsupported. So, what does unsupported mean? Well. I'm not really sure technically what it might mean for verification of that, but for me, I suppose, I was reading somebody else's Wicklow Round report years ago, and they made reference to an attempt that had been made by somebody unsupported, and I was new to the whole concept, and it just made sense to me that you just carry everything into the mountain. So to me, what I mean is that if I don't have it the minute I leave the start, I don't have access to it until I finish. Okay. So, gear no change of clothes except what i carry with me no food or no help off anybody at all anywhere along the way you know yeah so yeah, if yeah. it's not in the backpack and not on me i don't have access to it sure so sure sure no I, change I, I of clothes, no food I, off I, anybody drink from the uh, rivers and stuff like that you know and your backpack can be anything from maybe what four and a half kgs for the summer attempts to up to yep. six and a half kgs for the for the winter rounds. Six and a half was too much. Okay. Six and a half. So four and a half I would have in the back of my head has been the maximum. And yeah, what I would do is I I I always have a backpack with me when I'm running anyway, you know. Um, yeah. And if I'm running out in any kind of rough weather. I'd have a lot of safety gear with me, you know, change of clothes, foil blankets, foil sleeping bags. I'd even have a stove and a pot and some noodles with me sometimes, you know. Yeah, um, sure. So I'm quite used to carrying the backpack. Um, but this time around, then, I think two weeks beforehand, I loaded up the backpack for just an evening run with the exact weight I was hoping to carry, four and a half kilos. And uh, it was going all over the back on me. But okay. then... I think the week beforehand, I loaded her up exactly with the exact gear in the exact pouches and laid in the way it would be. And it felt good. It felt grand, you know. And then on the morning of the attempt, I had her loaded up. And I stood in the bedroom, put the pack on, and it just felt good. It felt really good, you know. Yeah. There was sort of nearly like a comfort in it. So that was 4.7 kilos when I headed out. And I remember running up the bog road towards Kapoor and thinking to myself, this feels good. That's your life jacket for the day now, you know? Yeah, 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 sure. Um, and you mentioned, you know, some of the some of the highs and lows over the the, the back-to-back. Um, what was the feeling like, Paul, as you, as you sprinted home? If anybody um, checks out the video there just online, you, you sprinted home over the last 100 metres <laughs> after, after 200 kilometres. Um, what's going through your mind um, as you're getting to the finish line, knowing that you're the first person to do the back-to-back 200-kilometre, 52-mountain summit <laughs> Wicklow, Wicklow round? Well, I suppose the first day... The first day was just an absolutely dream day of running in the mountains. Everything just alerted every bit of wildlife, alerted my body and just feeling better than I expected at all, you know. And I actually decided on Kapoor to pay attention to everything for the day and remember everything. And then the second day, the second day was just get the work done. You need to concentrate. And my whole mantra the whole day was stay focused. This is what you can do. This is what you need to do. 
don't switch off the whole day long. Even talking out loud to myself, um, having conversations with my legs, thanking them for what they were doing. They don't need a little bit more to do, you know. And um, then it actually only hit me as I was coming down the mass path towards the finished road section. I was coming down there and I just thought, I'm out there running double round. And I said it out loud and I laughed to myself. <laughs> it was like, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So then yeah. I got onto the road section and it's not a nice finish really, you know, you're running slight uphill on the road for I think a kilometer or so. So I decided I could walk up there loads of times or I could shuffle up there. And I just decided now get some good form and actually run properly up the road. And the, a few days, maybe a week beforehand, I'd said to Ethan and Caelan because we'd raced the finish of a couple of races before, a couple of hundred Ks, you know, they'd run the last hundred meters with me at that, you know. And I'd said to them, there was a, a bog barrier up the road about 100 meters, 200 meters from the end. And I said, if you see me there, I says, if I'm any, any sort of good condition, I says, I'll race you to the end. And they had said, um, no, how are we going to race you after two days? We're obviously going to win and we can't do that to you after you're running for two days. He says, we'll run with you and you touch the barrier first. And I said to them, not a chance. I said, if you're going to race me, you're going to race me. So uh, yeah. when they met me at the barrier, I just said to them, I said, look, I says, I'm not stopping. If I stop, I won't start again. So we were running up and chatting. And then I don't know how far I was from the end of about 100 meters. I just turned around to him and I just said, race on and legged it. <laughs> <laughs> ah, brilliant. Yeah. And, and there's one thing that I want to emphasize, Paul, as well, that you're very conscious of safety as well. Um, that it's not just, you know, rocking up, doing, doing 100 kilometers, 26 mountain summits, that you've planned this for months, even years. Um, I read in some of your reports that you even go as far to check where the nearest houses are in case of emergency. You, yeah. you've, you've got Simon Keddy who, who chats to us at the start of the show with our race updates. Simon's there on hand as well. He's trained yeah. in mountain rescue. Um, so may maybe just talk to us about how important that is as well. It is. And I think a few years ago, it really came home to I would be going out for long runs. And because I run on my own and because I run at night a lot of the time, um, Hazel would be conscious of worrying about where I was. So we use the View Ranger app for a start, and Hazel would track me on that on the Buddy Beacon. And then what we do is, and when I'm on a long runs or night runs, I would text Hazel periodically and say, 2 a.m., Lugnaquilla, all good. And she checked the buddy beacon, you know. So we're just used to doing things that way, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and then, uh, and then Simon, of course, is there as well. Like, I, you know, Simon was saying that I think for was it for this one that he was the only person who could pull the plug. That he knows you so well and you trust him so well as well that he was the person that could say no, it ends here, or no, it's okay. He can keep on going. Exactly, yeah. And uh, we had a little situation in the summer round, going back a couple of years ago, where. Me and Hazel had missed a meeting point. There was a bit of confusion and darkness had come down. I was behind schedule and Hazel got on to Simon and Simon was okay. He said, give him another hour, probably just a change route because of change of darkness. So that's sort of calm and collected. He's just, he knows the mountains. He knows mountain rescue. He doesn't panic and he knows me and he knows that I might hit a low spot or he'd be comfortable enough knowing my low spot that it's not the end of the world. 
Yeah. And then yeah. he'd be familiar with mountain conditions and know that there's less panic under different mountain conditions, under different weather conditions. Yeah, yeah. And I, I read as well, I mean, that you that you yourself, you, you read up on hyperthermia, um, you trained in cold conditions, so you're coming in fully prepared as well. Yeah, um, I would do some, look, at, I train on my own, so I would come up with some of these crackpot times, you know. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I, I might go out training for four or five hours in the rain in autumn just to get freezing cold. Just yeah, to yeah, touch yeah. on high just and be shivering for half a day afterwards and that, you know. I would train to complete fall down exhaustion at times. I would train to dehydration. Um, and it's just to get familiar with what it feels like. Sure. Incredible. Panic. Yeah, yeah. And it's in some strange way, you give the impression that you enjoy it. I probably, yeah, you, I do. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I do. Yeah, I, yeah. I love that there's always more potential there if you can tap into it. And I suppose it's being willing to to train that little bit unusually, I suppose, you know, and not be afraid of it. Um, yeah. No matter what you do, and I suppose even with the, the challenges, no matter how terrible you feel in them, you have to keep in mind that this time next week you're going to be okay. This time next week you're not going to be deterred. This time next yeah. week you're not going to be sore. Brilliant, yeah, yeah. And I'm going to throw a quote back at you, Paul, as well, from one of your great reports. And if anybody gets a chance to read your Wicklow Round reports or your Dennis Rankin Round reports, you're a lovely writer. And one of the <laughs> quotes that you that you took yourself from, Ernest Hemingway, it is good to have an end to journey towards, but it is the journey that matters in the end. And Absolutely. I'm sure that rings true for, for what you've done. It really does. It, it's the memories that you make over the weekends or the days or whatever it might be. And there's always tons of them. It does come down to more than times or running. It's so many experiences. And that's what it's about. You know, you get to the end, but what do you take away from it after that? And that's why I actually like when I do get a chance to sit down and write reports, because even a year later for me, they bring back my memories again and that I might have forgotten, you know, and do forget. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. Well, well, listen, before the, the last question, Paul, just to say, it's, oh, it's been wonderful talking to you about it. I've got goosebumps here listening to you <laughs> talking about your training, your preparation, and then going out and, and, and executing um, the, the Wicklow round back to back. And just the last question that I had, Paul, was after you've done all that, you've done the Dennis Rankin, you've done the, the Wicklow round back to back, what's up next for you? Anything else in Ireland or are you thinking anything internationally or what, what do you have in mind? First off, internationally, not really because the amount of time and, I suppose, difficulty of getting recce's in on anything that I would like doing internationally, which would be round, say, in the British Isles. But um, I'm happy enough to keep running here in Ireland. There's, there's plenty of challenges here. Um, I would have in the back of my head always a few challenges, say, the Mourn 500s, Cassie's Challenge, um, or Wicklow Glacier Lakes. I'd like to have a crack at that next year. There's a lot of recce's done on that as well. And then just from my own work as well, looking at maps and stuff like that, I've three years work on into planning around down in Kerry and a little inkling of around for Connacht as well. So there's years worth of work there to be done and years worth of running. But the big one that I would like to get of all the prep done would be 
the round I have planned down in Kerry. Um, so I'd like to finish the recce's on that and have a crack at that next year if everything works. Sure, um, sure. Well, the ground down there is very, very tough. There's not much on trail or anything like that. So that'd be the challenge. Yeah. Uh, listen, Paul, we look forward to uh, maybe the book coming out one day as well. As I said, oh. you're a beautiful writer. And uh, I suspect you, I know from you saying, from talking to you earlier on, you were saying that the book might be harder work than the actual rounds themselves, but they'd be fascinating stories to read about. And, uh, you know, m- maybe one day. <laughs> Yeah, well, look at there's loads of people involved, you know, Ethan, Caleb, Simon, Don, you know, there's loads of people involved, help out at different times, you know, so there's more to it than me. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Thanks, Emil. And I'm sure everybody that's listening in will find it a fascinating story. So congratulations again, Paul, on that wonderful achievement, the back-to-back Wicklow round, and we look forward to hearing about all your adventures in the future. You're very welcome, Mom. Thanks. Lovely talking to you.